If you have your Bibles, please turn to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. We've just finished our series called uh, My Big Fat Mouth. Uh, And in the series, we've looked at uh, the words that we direct at others. uh, Words that are not helpful uh, or holy or filled with grace. Uh, Words that are sometimes uh, words of complaint or criticism or gossip. But today is the start of the Advent season. And so we do a complete 180. We, we turn away and from the words that we direct at ourselves, and instead we look at the words that we direct toward Jesus at this time, the one worthy of our praise uh, during this Christmas uh, season. Our sermon series is called Carols. Uh, and what we're going to do in this series is we're going to look at the carols that we sing year after year after year. And perhaps we sing them without really thinking about what they, what they say, what message they're trying to convey. We just start the Christmas season and uh, we, we sing these carols. We don't actually give them a, a second thought. But we're going to be taking time to look at four carols. And under each carol, there's going to be a theme that we're going to finish wrapping up on a word. Today, I'm looking at We Three Kings, where the key word is worship. Next week, Pastor Matt's going to do a little town of Bethlehem, where the key word is destiny. The week after that, Pastor Matt, Pastor Dave is going to do While Shepherds Watch Their Flocks by Night, and the key word is promise. And I'm going to wrap up the series with the song Joy to the World. My family loves Christmas. Uh, Yes, we are those people who the day after uh, Remembrance Day, the tree goes up, the lights come on, uh, Michael Buble starts uh, wifting through the house. Um, We are those people. And we we have many Christmas traditions. Uh, We we watch a, a Christmas movie. Sometimes we watch Home Alone. Uh, I've yet um, to convince my family to watch the ultimate Christmas movie, Die Hard, um, but, but maybe one day. Uh, we, bake, we bake Christmas cookies, we, we start an Advent calendar, we just get into Christmas. And in our culture, there are many images and traditions uh, associated with Christmas, and some of them are, are firmly rooted in Scripture. Some of them are elements and images that we find at the very first uh, Christmas. Uh, Jesus in a manger, uh, meant for uh, the the feed for animals. Uh, The angels declaring the message of great joy. The shepherds who hear the message for the first time. The star that settles over Bethlehem. And there's some Christmas traditions that... That are not rooted in Scripture. This does not make them bad or unbiblical. They're, they're just not found in Scripture. But we, we, we love them anyway. Uh, think of the Christmas tree, uh, the Advent candles, the Christmas stockings. One of the traditions that I find particularly interesting is this idea of Santa Claus, Father Christmas. Um, and what intrigues me about Father Christmas is that our culture is very much a science-based, empirical, evidence-based culture. And yet, 
our culture is also obsessed with this myth of Father Christmas. Now, I believe that there is space in science for faith, and I believe that there is space in faith for science. But because our society is so empirically based, I thought it would only be fair that we apply the laws of physics to our beloved Santa Claus. I think it's only fair and consistent, right? So let's put a jolly benevolent Santa under the same scrutiny as we would uh, other areas. So, from a scientific point of view, Santa's main role is to deliver gifts to children around the world who have been good. He's taken a list. There are roughly 526 million children under the age of 14 who celebrate Christmas. Now, this is a huge delivery task. Amazon's just not going to cut it. So it's, it's, it's Santa's job. On average, uh, statistically, there are 3.5 children living in, in each household. And so Santa has to visit 150 million separate homes. Now, if you work up the math, he does not have a lot of time to do this. Luckily for Santa, the Earth rotates. There are 24 different time zones, and if he travels east to west, uh, Christmas Day actually lasts for 31 hours. Even so, this still works out to one visit uh, every, sorry, 1,000 visits per second. So in a thousandth of a second, in a thousandth of a second, Santa has to uh, park the sleigh on the roof, uh, slide down the chimney, put the gifts in the stocking, the remaining gifts under the tree, drink the milk, eat the cookies, climb up uh, the chimney, onto the reindeer, and onto the next house. Now, according to the numbers, this means he has to travel incredibly quickly between the houses. So let's just assume uh, that these 150 million houses are scattered evenly around the earth. This means that there's 1.25 kilometers between each home, which means a total trip length of 188 million kilometers. This means that a Santa Claus is moving at a speed of 1,000 kilometers per second, or 3,000 times the speed of sound. Now, if the speed of Santa's sleigh is one problem, his payload is a completely other problem. Just imagine, let's just say for the sake of simplicity, that each child's gift weighs between one and two pounds. This means that the sleigh has to carry 400,000 tons of presents. Now, we know that Santa's reindeer are from the Svalbard island of Norway, and they are the Platyrhynchus subspecies, which makes them the smallest of all the reindeer. And they can each only pull 150 kilograms themselves. This means Santa needs 360,000 reindeer. And they would weigh 50,000 tons, giving us a total mass of almost five, almost half a million tons. Now, if you have half a million tons moving at 1,000 kilometers per second, you have tremendous wind resistance. And in fact, the leading reindeer are absorbing 15 million quintillion, 15 quintillion joules of energy per second. No wonder he's Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. He's on fire. 
The lead peer of reindeer facing 15 quintillion joules of energy would vaporize the entire reindeer team in 4.26 thousandths of a second, creating sonic booms that would travel for 50 kilometers, flattening any tree house in that 50 kilometer radius. Santa himself would be decelerated by the, by the wind resistance from 1,000 kilometers per second to a dead stop in a thousandth of a second. Our jolly 125 kilogram Santa will be thrown forward with the equivalent weight of 2 million kilograms, turning him instantly into a thin red layer of protoplasm. <laughs> and this thin layer of protoplasm would be destroyed by the expanding shockwave. It's not so much a case of ho, 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 as it is oh, oh, oh. <laughs> At this time of year, there are many uh, iconic Christmas images. And as I said, some of them are found in the uh, biblical roots, the first Christmas. Some of them are not. And then some of them oddly kind of fall in the middle. Uh, and We Three Kings is one of these songs, these carols that sort of have a biblical basis, but also sort of don't. And this image of the three kings presenting their gifts is, is iconic. And we see them with every nativity scene. And the, the idea of three kings comes from a, a John Hopkins who wrote it for his Christmas pageant in 1857. The truth is we actually know very little about the three men. So firstly, we don't know how many there were. Uh, we just don't. A, a, a legend grew that there were three of them because of the three gifts. Uh, and in the uh, Western church, uh, the, the, they were given the names of Melchior, Caspar, and Balthazar. Uh, interestingly, in the Eastern churches, a, a legend developed that there were 12 wise men. So we just don't know how many there were. Uh, we don't know when they arrived to see the baby Jesus. We know that it wasn't at the same time as uh, the shepherds, even though that's what nativity scenes would like us to believe. The Greek word in uh, Luke chapter 2, used to refer to Jesus when the, when the shepherds visit, means an infant, a newborn. In Matthew 2, the word used for a child is, a, is the word technon, and it, ref, it re, refers to a child of between two and seven years of age. And this is why Herod uh, orders that uh, all boys under two are murdered. Thirdly, we don't know about the star that the three kings followed. It's highly unlikely that it was an actual star, uh, in Scripture, the, uh, in the New Testament, the word for star is used both literally and figuratively. So, so we don't know, we don't, we're almost sure it wasn't an actual star. It was most likely a, some sort of cosmic event, a, a nebula or a comet, or even an alignment of planets. And between 7 BC and 3 BC, there are a number of these cosmic events that could uh, possibly fit the bill. So there's lots that we don't know. So what do we know? Firstly, we know that they were not kings. They were not kings at all. Matthew tells us that after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. 
The Greek word used to refer to three kings is the word magos. That's where we get the word magi from. And the word means magicians, sorcerers, wizards, astrologers, fortune tellers. It's literally like Gandalf and Dumbledore are trying to find Jesus. And since the, the Magi dabbled in the dark arts, it's where we get our English word magic from. But the Magi were more than just magicians and sorcerers and wizards. They were uh, very educated men. They were professors, philosophers, and the political advisors of their day. And they were highly trained in medicine, history, religion, and politics. And we know from other sources that the Magi had existed for hundreds of years before Jesus. And in fact, when we look at the book of Daniel, it appears that Daniel was actually made a manager or the, uh, the ruler over Darius's Magi or their, uh, their wise men. So why do we call them kings? During the Middle Ages, this idea arose that these visitors were a fulfillment of an Old Testament, Old Testament prophecy, namely Psalm 72 verse 10, which specifically reads, May the kings of Tarshish and of distant shores bring tribute to him. May the kings of Sheba and Seba present him with gifts. And so it was assumed without any evidence that these magi were in fact kings. Is my headset breaking in and out? A little bit. Should I use a handheld? Is that okay? Okay, good. Because the moment I use a handheld, I can't speak without my hands. So. so why do we call them wise men? Well, we call them wise men because in 1611, when we finally received an English translation of the Bible, the translators were horrified by this idea that sorcerers and wizards and pro prophecy, uh, pro prophets and astrologers were a part of the birth of Jesus. And they just, they felt that they just not, they just could not use the right words. I mean, how could it be that scripture condemns sorcery and fortune telling and yet you're at the birth of Jesus, the, the, the first people to seek him out are wizards and astrologers and fortune tellers. That's outrageous. It's offensive. It's provocative. And so the word was whitewashed so that we didn't have this idea of wizards and sorcerers at the birth of Jesus. So we also know that the wise men traveled from the east. Based on the cultures that existed at the time of Jesus, and it's highly likely that they came from what is then Persia and what is today Iran. And thirdly, we know that they brought gifts, specifically gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So let's read the biblical account together. Matthew chapter 2, from verse 1 to verse 12, Matthew tells us, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, a Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, 
Yes, then where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied. For this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for this child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I'm, I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. The focus of the early church was actually not on these wise men themselves. The early church didn't spend a lot of time focused on who they were or where they came from. There was actually very little interest in who they were. And the early church, rather, had a focus on uh, who they were, not in, in who they were, but in how they perceived Jesus. And there was extra focus on the gifts that they had brought. A man called Oregon, one of the early church fathers, uh, wrote in a paper called The Contrast Salsum. He said this, uh, he, said, he, he, he said that the Magi didn't tell the story. Their gifts told the story. He went on to write this. Gold is to a king, myrrh is to one who was mortal, and incense as to a god. And this is reflected in the song, We Three Kings. The, the second last stanza says, Glorious now, behold him arise, king and god and sacrifice. And so the early church understood that it wasn't about the wise men. It was about the gifts that they brought and put at the feet of Jesus. It was about how they perceived who Jesus was. So let's look at what the song teaches us about how they perceived Jesus. So firstly, the song reminds us that Jesus is the king. The song tells us that they brought gifts of gold. And this reveals that they saw Jesus as the king. The third stanza says, Gold I bring to crown him again. King Forever, ceasing never, over us all to reign. And gift is an gold is an appropriate gift for a king, right? Even today, when kings or queens are crowned, there's just this inordinate amount of gold. Because gold signifies royalty. Gold just points to royalty and a king. And these magicians recognize that this baby is not just another Jewish baby, this is not just yet another Israelite baby born in Palestine like so many other Jewish babies. They recognize that, that this is different. That this baby is, is somewhat set apart. He's not just another baby. They recognize that he is the king. Matthew tells us that after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, a Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? Now this idea that the, the Messiah would be a king was not a new concept to the Jews. It was for the, the wise men or the three kings as we call them, but it wasn't for the Jews. The Jews were very aware that the coming Messiah, 
the coming Christ, would, would be a king. Isaiah prophesied concerning the Messiah. Isaiah said, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. When the angel Gabriel appears to Mary and tells her that she's going to uh, have a child, the angel says, he, Jesus, will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. This much is clear. This little baby put in a manger in a trough where the animals ate, born to a poor, poor couple, a teenage mom, is a king. But not just any king, he is the king. And what's amazing, what's amazing is not only that the, the Magi recognize who Jesus is, what's amazing is that they are magicians and sorcerers and wizards and astrologers and fortune tellers. They are the very people the Bible condemns. And yet it's them. It's them, these pagan magicians who come looking for Jesus. It's wizards who want to worship the king of kings. It's magicians who see him as their majesty. And this is shocking. The chief priests and the scribes that we read about in Matthew 2 would have been horrified to hear that it was magicians who sought out the Messiah. They viewed magicians and sorcerers and wizards as infidels, idolaters, pagans. They viewed wizards as outside of the grace of God. They viewed them as, as outsiders. They viewed them as those that, that would have no part in the Savior, no part in the Messiah, no part in the Christ, no part in his kingdom. And yet it's foreigners, pagan foreigners, who first recognize who Jesus is. This should be a lesson for us. We often have this idea of people who are outside the grace of God. People who we think are just too far gone to ever be included in the kingdom of Jesus. We can be so prone to write people off and see them outside of his grace. We do that, but not God. Not God. God draws in the outsider. God woos the prodigals. He wins over the foreigners. And just like the Magi 2,000 years ago, God is seeking worshipers from among the ranks of pagan religions. I just want to deviate quickly from my message. That 
sound of that little baby. As a pastor, is always one of the most beautiful sounds. You can hear while preaching. When I'm preaching and I hear the sound of a baby crying, I'm reminded that even little babies are a part of the kingdom of God. And in fact, Jesus never says to enter the kingdom of heaven, you need to be a wise, educated scribe. Jesus says, if you want to enter my kingdom, you have to be like a child. So every time I hear a child crying when I'm doing a sermon, I'm, I'm just so motivated and encouraged by the, the grace of God who draws in everyone to him. So if you do have a child or a grandchild and they are make, they're crying in the service, please don't feel uncomfortable. It's a beautiful, beautiful sound. Secondly, the, the song reminds us that Jesus is God himself. The song points out that the gift of frankincense points to the truth that Jesus is God himself. Fourth stanza of We Three Kings says, Frankincense to offer of I, incense owns a deity in I. Prayer and praising, all men raising, worship him God on high. Frankincense is a, a white gum, uh, and it, once taken from the tree and, and burnt, it, 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 it just lets off this beautiful fragrance. And throughout the Old Testament, it was used uh, to worship God. In fact, God gave, himself gave the instruction that frankincense was to be used in the worship of, of him as, as God. So God uh, tells Moses, he says, take fragrant spices and pure frankincense, all in equal amounts, and make a fragrant blend of incense, the work of a perfumer. It is to be salted and pure and sacred. Grant some of it to powder and place it in front of the Ark of the Covenant law in the tent of meeting. Where I will meet with you, it will be most holy to you. So if gold is a gift fit for a king, frankincense reminds us that Jesus is not just a king, he's the king who is God. And again, the, the prophets of the Old Testament knew this. Isaiah would write in chapter 7 of, of uh, Isaiah, he said, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a son. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Isaiah would later say, For to us a child is born. To us, the son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. Why is it so important that Jesus is God himself? 
See, at Christmas, we always look upon this little baby Jesus, this tiny baby Jesus. But Jesus was born so that he could die. He was born so that he could die. We needed someone who was God to come to us and close the divide between us and God, a divide that we can do nothing about. And so God became one of us. We have other religions who, who say, let me show you the way to God. Let me show you the way. And Jesus arrives and says, I am the way. I am God. And I have come to you. I've come to pursue you. Thirdly, the song reminds us that Jesus is our Savior. The song talks about the gift of myrrh and reminds us that Jesus is the King who is God, who is also our Savior. The seventh stanza of We Three Kings goes like this. We sing, myrrh is mine, its bitter perfume, breathes a life of gathering gloom, sorrowing, sighing, bleeding, dying, Sealed in the stone-cold tomb. Myrrh was an aromatic resin, much like frankincense, but was used primarily in, in embalming the dead. And so we're told in Scripture that Nicodemus helps prepare Jesus' body using myrrh. John tells us that uh, with him came Nicodemus, the man who had come to Jesus at night. Uh, he brought about 75 pounds of perfumed ointment made from myrrh and aloes. And this gift of myrrh, it foreshadows the purpose for which Jesus came. This infant child the shepherds saw was destined to die. This little kid the wise men came to see was born to go to the cross. This child they worshipped would take all of their sins onto himself so that we may have eternal life. And again, this is a theme that Scripture points out again and again. The angel of the Lord tells Joseph concerning Mary, he says, she will give birth to a son, and you ought to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. The angels declare to the shepherds, do not be afraid. I bring you great news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. So what? So what? Both the Bible and the song, We Three Kings, tell us of the response of the Magi. When they finally find Jesus, when they finally track him down, both the song and the scripture tell us how they respond before Jesus. And when the Magi finally find Jesus, and they give him the gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, those are secondary gifts. They're not the prime gifts that these wizards and sorcerers and fortune tellers bring before the king of kings. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh are just, they're just side gifts. They're not the true gift that these men bring because their true gift is worship. Their true gift is worship. The song says, prayer and praising, all men raising, worship him, God most high. The Christmas story is always 
a story of hope and joy. But there is a, there is a side to the Christmas story that is deeply, deeply sad. There is a side to the first Noel, the first nativity, where there is an element of just deep sadness. And it's this. The sadness exists because of this. The sadness exists because of the significant difference between the wise men and Herod's counselors. The wise men, these foreigners, these infidels, these men who are outside the kingdom of God, see a star, and they follow it, and they travel for months and months and months, for hundreds and hundreds of miles, and they follow the star diligently until they find the king of kings, and then they worship. Matthew tells us, on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. On the other hand, we have Herod's learned scribes, educated uh, teachers of the law. We have those who knew the scriptures back to front. They had studied them. They had poured over them. They knew where the Messiah would be born. Between our, in, our, in our scriptures, between the, the Old and the New Testament, there's just one page. But that one page represents 400 years. 400 years in which, in which the scribes and the Pharisees looked forward to the coming of the Messiah. They didn't just look forward to it. They pined for it. They longed for it. They yearned for the Messiah. And these scribes and these Pharisees, they know the ancient scriptures. They know exactly where Jesus will be born. When Herod asks them, they don't say, well, let us go and study. They tell him immediately. They tell him immediately, oh, he's in Bethlehem. And yet... They make no attempt to go find him. Nothing. They make zero attempt. Where Jesus was born was five miles from Herod's palace. And these learned experts could not bother to get off their butts and go worship the king of kings. One of the songs that kind of gets this idea of not knowing where Jesus would be born is, a, is one of my favorite songs, Welcome to Our World by Chris Rice. And he, he gets it wrong because he sings this. He says, you've been promised, we've been waiting Welcome, holy child. Hope that you don't mind our manger. How I wish we could have known. 
They did know. They did know. But none of them does anything about it. Dirty shepherds, those on the bottom rung of society, leave their livelihood, leave their only source of income, and go to find Jesus. Sorcerers from hundreds of miles away go to find Jesus. And the religious, they do nothing. Nothing. This is a danger for us at this Christmas season. As much as I love the, the lights and the carols, uh, Michael Bublé, I'll even tolerate a little bit of Boney M. But the danger is at this time of year with all of these images is that we lose sight of just who is at the center of the nativity scene. Casting crowns on their Christmas album. On a song, write a song called While You Lay Sleeping. And these are the lyrics. They sing, A little town of Bethlehem Looks like another silent night. Above your deep and dreamless sleep A giant star lights up the sky. And while you're lying in the dark, there shines an everlasting light for the king has left his throne and is sleeping in a manger tonight. Oh, Bethlehem, what you have missed while you lay sleeping. For God became a man and stepped into your world today. Oh, Bethlehem, you will go down in history as a city with no room for its king while you were sleeping. This Christmas, all of those other images, as good as they are, pose a danger that they point away from the child at the center of it all. We three kings closes with this line, these lines, O star of wonder, star of night, star with royal beauty bright, westward leading, still proceeding, guide us to thy perfect light. What about you this Christmas? Will you allow, will you allow the Holy Spirit to lead you to that perfect light? Or will, or will you forget about the one who is King and God and Savior? Will this holiest of times pass you by? Will this sacred season Come and go without you noticing. Or will you bow down? 
and worship the King of Kings. Father, we are, we are in awe. That you would send your son. That he would become one of us. That he would be born a poor Jewish infant. But would become the savior of the world. Who would die on the cross for us. We are in awe of that. And we ask that we respond appropriately to you, Jesus. And who you are this Christmas season. We thank you for all the elements that bring us joy, the music and the food and the time with family and the, the giving of gifts. And those are all good, but we ask that you help us not to be consumed by all of those good things that we forget the greatest, which is that you are worthy of our worship. May we do that this Advent season. May we worship you this time. Amen.